Hello, everyone, and welcome to Police Off the Cuff Real Crime Stories. I'm your host, Bill Cannon, a retired 27-year veteran of the NYPD. I retired out of Manhattan North Homicide Squad. With me today is my co-host, detective, retired detective, NYPD detective Phil Grimaldi, retired out of the intelligence unit, but he worked for a long time in the 6-0 squad in Brooklyn. Those numbered squads, they're always the best detectives. That's where they cut their teeth and they learn the trade. Well, uh, Phil, welcome to the show today. Uh, Thanks, Bill. Thank you for having me back. I got to tell you, I'm fired up for this one because it hits home in a lot of places. I was a transit cop. I know we're going to talk about transit crime, so uh, I'm ready to go, Bill. You know, that's one of the things that uh, we want to focus on now because two weeks ago, before the Times Square shooting and before this spat of uh, subway crimes, specifically the uh, four robberies in 12 minutes with slashings, one guy potentially losing an eye uh, with four perpetrators arrested. I think there's still one at large. It really hits home because when you talk about the politics of crime, none of the mayoral candidates two weeks ago were even talking about crime. It was the least thing that was even on their radar. But now all of a sudden it's a priority because they realized, I think it was just today that they, they're opening the subway system. Uh, I'm gonna just bring up a, a video, Phil, and I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna share it. And uh, you know, we'll, we'll comment after this. Sure. Breaking post-pandemic nearly 2.3 million rides on New York City subways on Friday as they came back for the first time round-the-clock service today. But it also comes amidst a disturbed rise in violent crime. 17 last week, two more yesterday alone. More cops than ever now patrolling underground. This office is part of the largest transit force in 20 years. One of 3,250 NYPD members added to address crime. Today, we're announcing an additional 250 officers on a special deployment on top of the previous 500, on top of the previous 2,500. We're going to take officers and put them in the right places in the subways at the right time, particularly at peak times of ridership. PIX 11's Nicole Johnson getting a firsthand experience of police patrolling the rails. Do we need more police officers down here? I really truly believe that the, the deployment that we have, we can get the job done. Now, I would never say no to more police officers. Meanwhile, City Hall firing back, saying it's the MTA that needs to do more to stamp out the violent crime spike underground. There has to be a visible presence in the system because that make the difference for our customers and heroic employees. Mental health outreach teams also need to be a part of this equation. Everybody says that. We need to see that put in place as well so that we can begin to see the changes in safety that we want. Political candidates talking about this as well. Curtis Sliwa and Eric Adams, both vying for the mayor's job, will be speaking to these topics today. (laughs) Phil, sorry I uh, didn't cut that off quick enough. What are your comments on that? Wow, where do I start? There are so many components to this current problem. Uh, I'd like to start right at the top with El Supremo, Governor Cuomo in Albany. I borrowed that from my brother. He calls him El Supremo. He's a big (laughs) fan of the show, so we give Big Nick a shout out. But El Supremo, 
Wash the blood off your hands. Stop counting hundred dollar bills from your uh, five million dollar book deal on the backs of the fifteen thousand senior citizens that you put in the ground, and do something about bail reform. Let's start there. You knew when this thing started with bail reform, the result you were going to get. You had some people fooled, not everybody, and now the, the results are clear. You're letting people out of jail on a daily basis that carry a gun one day, two three days later they're killing somebody with another gun. Bail reform has got to be the start of this whole thing. The other components of this crime uh, wave or, or whatever you want to call it, they're blaming it on uh, the, uh, the pandemic. Now, they said in one of the articles you sent me, Bill, that the hierarchy of the family, the patriarchs were, uh, may have died from COVID-related responses. Do you think those guys that slashed the people on the subways on, over the weekend, that their grandmother died a few months ago, that that's why they did it? Well, if you believe that, you're a real moron. These guys are obviously recidivist criminals. They go out into the subway. That's always been the problem with the, the subway crime. It's recidivist. It's the same. It's a small group of people. They prey on the people in the subway. And the Blasio wants to put people, uh, uniformed officers into the subway at uh, peak times. The crimes are happening four or five in the morning, uh, two, three in the morning. When I was a transit cop in 1982, I did train patrol. We started at eight at night and we ended at 4.30 in the morning. Those are the key times that need to be in place here. It's obvious that's when your crime wave is ta uh, taking place. And de Blasio, I got a message for you too. Put down the joint, go take a cold shower. <laughs> You're delusional. He says continuously on a daily basis, the subway system is safe. The guy is delusional. He's got to get with the program. Um, one of the other components, Bill, if you let me just, I know I'm ranting. Go but ahead. Go ahead. I love no, ranting. No, <laughs> listen, the criminals, the criminal aspect, the recidivists that are uh, are in the subway. Years ago, they used to have, um, they had a squad that went after um, chain snatchers that, that they would, uh, we called it lush workers. There'd be people who would be drunk, fall asleep on the subway and the, and the, uh, the lush worker would carry a razor that either take the chain off their neck, slice their pocket and steal their wire wallet. It was a plain clothes unit gone. There was other, uh, uh, they had a thing called Dickie waivers, guys who exposed themselves on the subway. They had a plain clothes unit that did that, that targeted that. Gone. So all of these types of crimes are going to be uh, increasing, obviously. Then you have the homeless problem. The homeless, they tell you, uh, they would tell the, uh, the uh, transit cops, eject them from the subway, put them up into the street. As soon as it starts raining, it's cold, it's too hot, whatever the case may be, they're back down in the subway. The problem with the, with the homeless is, is that they used to be able, if they were mentally unstable, to hold them in, in a uh, psychiatric facility for a period of time. Now it's a day or two and then they're back out and they, and they send them back out into the street. And then with the bail reform, if they do something, throw somebody on the tracks or attack someone, they go before the judge. They don't even order a psychiatric evaluation. The bail reform is, is really the, the, the head of the problem. That's where it's got to start. They're letting them out. And this is why we're having such problems in the subway. You know, Phil, you're 100% correct. And I showed a couple of pictures before. These were the perpetrators that were arrested uh, in the in the slashing attacks that occurred on Saturday, all in about 12 minutes. One of the guys, they stabbed in the eye, and he's probably going to lose his eye. Uh, this individual right here is unapprehended. I called uh, DCPI and I called Transit District 1 to find out if any of these perpetrators paid their fare. And I know that sounds like a, a menial thing, a trivial thing. However, we all know that- No, not at all, not at all. 
Right, but it, we all know that that's one of the quality of life things that enable cops to keep the criminal element out of the subway because the criminals pay their fare? No. So now you arrest them for theft of service, you got a free toss, search incidental to lawful arrest, and voila, a lot of them are carrying guns. And so, I'm so to be able to I'm use so that I'm so glad law, you brought that up, Bill. I'm so glad you brought that up. I didn't mean to cut you off, but I'm so glad okay. you brought that up. Because when I was in transit, I was a transit cop in 1982, we would uh, we would wait for someone to, to beat the fare, you know, to jump over the turnstile or to go through the gate. We would grab them. If they had identification and they didn't have any warrants, they were given a summons. If they didn't have identification, we would try to verify their identification by uh, making a phone call, getting someone down there. And But if there was no, no ID or if they had a warrant or if they were recidivists, they were arrested and charged with theft of service. What you said was so right to the point. These are the low-level crimes that turn into bigger crimes. And if you start with fare evasion, you're going to maybe catch somebody jumping a turnstile. It's happened numerous times, carrying a, a firearm, carrying a knife, whatever. They're going into the system. They're not going to pay. You're going to do a robbery. Let me pay my fare. Not happening. I don't think so. Well, you know, Phil, one of the things I also discovered is that um, now a, a juvenile is less than 18. Did you know that? The I, 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 I did hear that recently. Yes. Yeah. Well, it's, I, it's, it's changed to less than 18. So now we used to have the concept of a juvenile offender. And so if you were less than 16 and did certain selected crimes, you could be charged as an adult in criminal court. Now, I guess it's if you're below 18, you know, so if you're 16 and 17, you could become a juvenile offender. And as I recall, Robbery first degree with an injury was a juvenile offender offense. If anyone in our chat uh, bears to differ or if they know better than me, let me know. But I know when I was a sergeant, robbery first degree with a physical injury was a juvenile offender uh, crime. But I mean, everything has changed with um, criminal justice reform. So I don't know if in fact it still is. Yeah, Bill, you know, when you put those pictures up, the first thing that came to my mind of those perpetrators, they didn't look distraught about losing their grandmother or, or their mother or, or their pappy. That's a, that's a load of nonsense. And the other politicians in this city, specifically the city council, they got to get with the program. They took away enforcement of urinating in public. They took away enforcement of drinking in public. Marijuana is being de decriminalized. What did they think was going to happen? Did they think that quality of life was going to get better in the city when they did all of these things? Or was it going to get worse? And then you see the defund the police uh, 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 atmosphere that's going throughout the country with Black Lives Matter. I mean, I just saw an article on uh, on the news yesterday. They uh, they they were going to have some type of a, a law enforcement event at a zoo in, in uh, I forgot what state it was. And they, they, they told them flat out, we're not doing it. It's law enforcement. We're not doing it. I mean, where's this going? It's just crazy to defund the police. You know, Phil, it's amazing how the police have become the enemy. In fact, I just want to read a, a very short part of uh, a Sergeant Ed Mullins, the president of the SBA, wrote a op-ed for the New York Post. I don't know if you saw it. But it begins with a violent beating caught on tape. Man dies from multiple gunshot wounds in East New York. Man dies after broad daylight stabbing in Upper Manhattan. The headlines above are just a sampling from the past weeks in New York City. They don't even take into account the recent uptick in attacks against Asian Americans. Taken together, the headlines represent a new normal, far more alarming than the one defined by masks and social distancing. 
The new normal of criminality is what we saw in the Gotham of a bygone era, what old timers call the bad days. Those days aren't part of the civic memory of the millennials and younger activists who've captured City Hall and the state legislature. Mugging, stabbing, shootings, vagrancy, rampant homelessness, mentally ill men and women left to fend for themselves on the streets, all while political leaders order law enforcers to stand down. That was in today's paper, and that was written by Ed Mullins. So is, is crime becoming the new normal, and is it becoming accepted? I think 100% it is. I mean, just yesterday I saw on the news there was an incident up in Inwood where these guys on dirt bikes, a whole pack of them, were riding through, and they went into a park, and uh, an older gentleman said something to them. They pummeled the guy. He was on the news with stitches everywhere. And then you have the Manhattan Borough President writes a letter. I think her name is Gail Brewer. I'm not even sure of her name. But the Manhattan Borough President writes a letter to Mayor de Blasio and says, there's a problem with these dirt bikers and, you know, she goes through the whole thing, but she doesn't want any arrests. She's not looking for arrests and she's not looking for fines. So if they're riding a dirt bike with no license, no registration, no insurance, no inspection, and whatever violations they commit, they're supposed to get a warning. I mean, they pummeled this poor guy. The guy looked like he was in a a, a fight with Mike Tyson and he, he was probably 70 years old or something like that. It's it's ridiculous. And then when the the, the leaders in charge speak out against it, Oh, we don't want an arrest. They don't want enforcement. We got to go back to the broken windows policy. That's what worked before. It'll work again. You know, Phil, I want to also, last weekend we had this incident. I just want to uh, share the screen with this and we'll make a comment on this afterwards. Good evening, everyone. At about five to five this evening, just behind my right shoulder at 45th and 7th, shots rang out. We had police officers in the area at the time that immediately put over a call for shots fired and responded about a block to the scene. At the end of what we now know is we have three individuals that are shot. We have a female Hispanic, four years old from Brooklyn, shot in the leg and expected to undergo surgery at Bellevue Hospital. We have a 23-year-old female tourist from Rhode Island here today to New York City, first to visit the Statue of Liberty, which was closed or not available at the time they got the tickets and decided to come to Times Square to enjoy the sights. And last, we have a 43-year-old female Hispanic from New Jersey. What we know right now is we have a dispute that erupted between two to four individuals, males. We have a picture of one person of interest that we have put out on NYPD News on our Twitter page, as well as a video. If you go there, you will see it. We are asking anyone with any information of what transpired here today to please call our Crime Stoppers hotline. It is, as you know, a very active investigation right now. I have Inspector uh, Chief Sautner, excuse me, uh, to my left. We will speak and answer any questions regarding the investigation in a moment. Very active investigation. We have three shell casings that appear to be 25 caliber. We're covered right now, and we will see where it goes from there. Any questions? So that was last weekend. And those that's one of those incidents that happens in Times Square, which they refer to as the crossroads of the world, which makes everyone that might want to come into the city ner nervous about coming into the city. There was a restaurant in Times Square last week that after that shooting had 60 reservations canceled. 60 people could be, 60 reservations could be 180, 200 people. You know that. 
So can, can a restaurant that's already coming off the pandemic, can they weather that uh, uh, 60 reservation cancellation, cancellations? No. I mean, it's outrageous. That's why public safety is so important. Listen, let's face it. Can you blame the people that made those cancellations? There's a Wild West uh, type atmosphere going on in Times Square. We need tourism in our, in our city to bring it back. And with the laws that are in effect and the, the enforcement that's in effect, it's not going to happen. Things are only going to get worse. And I'm so glad you brought up that press conference because if further on in that press conference, Police Commissioner Shea, Shea said something. He, he kind of pointed a finger in the direction of the bail reform, but he didn't come right out and say it. I got an issue with him, too. He's the one that took a responsibility for getting rid of anti-crime, getting rid of street crime. Those were the units that were instrumental in taking guns off the street, getting right into the, to the bad areas, right into the thick of things, and making a difference in this city. And he was the one that got rid of it. Now, whether or not the, the order came down from City Hall or not, he claimed that he was the one. Commissioner, I know you've been around a long time. I know you know the good that can be done with the NYPD from the past history. Take responsibility, stand up, call out de Blasio and the city council and the rest of them and let them know what has to be done. Grow a pair. Come on. The city needs you. This is the time. You know, Phil, uh, not to get away from uh, the subway and, of course, anti-crime, which is sorely needed, but let's talk about the shootings now. The shootings are off the hook. And I just want to read a quote from the New York Times quoting an NYPD chief, Michael LaPietri, the police department's chief of crime control strategy, said in an interview this week that conflicts and retaliation between groups of teenagers and young men continued to fuel much of the gun violence. He estimated that about three-fourths of the shootings contained a nexus to crews or youth gangs. Marcus Gonzalez Solo, who heads the mayor's office of criminal justice, placed the total closer to 40% and added that unrelated interpersonal conflicts among people who had no prior convictions had contributed heavily. I don't know where the hell that guy got that from. Here's the, a chief in the NYPD that has access to all the data, all the statistics, all the criminal records of the people involved in these shootings, and some mole from the mayor's office calls this information incorrect because it's not politically expedient for them to have these amount of shootings. Well, Marcus Solis is a former New York One reporter right off the bat, so he doesn't no, no, have... No, uh, it's, it's Solor, I'm sorry, S-O-L-E-R. Okay, I, I thought it was Solis because he no. was working for the police department, I think in uh, uh, one of the uh, uh, DCPI or something to that effect. But, Bill, let's go back to stop, question, and frisk. Stop, question, and frisk was how they were taking the guns away from the gangbangers. Bottom line. Now, the, the person that is responsible for us losing stop question is and frisk stop question and frisk. I'm so excited. I, I can't get the words out. The person who's responsible for the NYPD losing stop question and frisk is Michael Bloomberg. He saw that they were using stop question and frisk to take guns off the street. And he mandated that every officer was going to have to do five stops a month. And then it just got abused because there was at the end of the month, they didn't have five stops on their monthly activity report. So they were stopping just anybody there was all types of civilian complaints, lawsuits, and they got rid of stop, question, and frisk. That's why it was abused. 
It's a great, great tool. It needs to be brought back. Like you said in one of your earlier shows, Bill, it's not stop and frisk. It's stop somebody that's suspicious. You question them about their whereabouts or what they're doing. And if you find need be, you then frisk them. It's a, it, it was, I can't even believe that they took it away the way they did. It's just unbelievable tool. I was an anti-crime. I was in plain clothes. I used it many times. I used it in uniform. It's a great tool. It's the way to, to get the crime off the streets and the guns off the streets. That's why all these shootings are happening, plain and simple. They know they're carrying, and if uh, a radio car rolls by, they're not going to stop them. You're 100%. You know, there, there was an incident last night in Brownsville where a guy was shot at 1230 at night, shot dead, and they had a vigil for him uh, about five or six hours later, and someone was shot dead at the vigil. So it's like, are you kidding me? I mean, is this New York City of the 80s, you know, of the early 90s? It's And, and the people that are running for mayor, my God, you I don't know what where they got their information about crime because they don't really know what they're talking about. Here, here's the crew right here. That's the crew of people that are running for mayor. And many of them are all also talking down, and as they call it, stop and frisk because they don't know what they're talking about. And... The only one who, who actually knows what he's talking about is Eric Adams. And the rest of them have no clue. But they're, they're, they're ready to bash the police, all of them. In fact, the guy who's under Scott Stringer, I, I don't know his name, he recommended defunding the police by $3 billion. Dude, you, you, you're in the wrong city. Go to Seattle. You know, he's got to be kidding. I can't even fathom what you just said. It's so ridiculous. It's insane. But I'm glad you brought up that shooting because I just happened to watch the news at noon and I saw it. In the past, a situation like that where, let's say, a gangbang was shot, you know and I know that anti-crime would have been at that vigil. And they might have been able to prevent it or possibly capture the person. It was a drive-by, I believe. They drove by the vigil. They must have saw people that were from a different gang, and they decided to fire some shots. And some young innocent, I think she was 17 or 18 years old, something like that, a young lady, was shot in the head. I mean, come on. There, there needs to be anti-crime. There needs to be plainclothes units in the city back again. We need stop and frisk or the city is going to hell. You know, Phil, what you said before, I remember how effective the transit uh, undercover units, the anti-crime units were. And you know something? You want to know something? The criminals feared them. And to tell you the truth, the criminals feared anti-crime, as they should. The criminals don't fear anyone any longer because it's the soft-touch police department. It's the, Bla the Blasio Police Department. It's the politicians hate the police department. It's the diaphragm police department. It's the stop and frisk that they call it police department. No, it's stop, question, and frisk politicians and press that don't know what you're talking about or writing about, all right? You need an aggressive police force out there. This isn't social work. You can send the violence interrupters that the progressives think will be very effective. You take a billion dollars, and give it to the violence interrupters. Have them go to that shooting last night that a guy, a vigil for a shooting victim claims another life. I mean, I just don't understand. You know, a lot of progressives are very into the science until the science goes against their ideology. Then they don't believe about it. They don't believe the science that much, you know. Billy, you made such a great point when you said that transit uh, plainclothes units, they were doing very well and they were afraid of the police. I can attest to stories where 
when I went back to uh, what I said earlier about the lush workers, somebody would be drunk on on a train and they would come over and steal their chain or their wallet. So what the decoy unit would do is they, they would take a, an officer, put a gold chain around his neck, have his wallet half sticking out of his pocket and act like he was drunk on the subway. And there would be other people on that same subway train that would back up officers, you know, dressed differently or whatever. And what the, what the lush worker would do is he would actually go over and test to see if they were going to jump on him. He would go over and look at the guy and then look around and touch his chain and then go sit back down to see if there was other plain clothes you know, officers present, but the plainclothes officers were just one step smarter and they would wait till he'd actually be taking the chain off or, you know, removing the wallet from his, from his pocket. And then they would jump on him. And those units were very, very effective. Same thing with the, the perverts that were exposing themselves in the subway. They were making arrests on a daily basis on, on an eight to four, sometimes in district four or, or Manhattan district one, four and five arrests for this stuff in one tour. Think about it. So they were really putting an impact on these type of things. And these are all quality of life crimes. And, and um, Phil, let me just stop you. That also, acts as a prevention because when these mutts know that there's an anti-crime unit or anti-crime works in transit and they work on the trains they work the most dangerous trains they work the most dangerous areas you don't think they're going to be looking over their shoulder of course they go absolutely and it goes back to what you said earlier Jump in the turnstile. Those lush workers or these criminals that are targeting the subway, they're not paying their fare. It's, it's just, you got to, listen, they said there's like up to 30% of the people don't pay their fare in the New York City subway on a daily basis. I don't know if the number's higher or lower, but I, I did hear that number at one time. So if you targeted that, the revenue would be brought in for people start paying their fare. You'd have less crime. I mean, things would be able to get so much better. Instead of raising the fare and, and lessening the police, they could have the opposite effect. It, it's just, I don't know. It seems so simple to me and you and the politicians seem to just want to kowtow to Black Lives Matter and say, well, the reason we're not going to arrest fair beaters is because most of the fair beaters that were being arrested were minorities. That's not uh, that's not a, a, a scientific, you know, a policy that you're coming up with. You're just saying maybe it's the fact that those are the people that happen to be jumping the fare or not paying the fare. You know, we got to we got to get back to basics with, with crime fighting in, in New York City. The subway is out of control. Over this past weekend, my daughter wanted to go into the city and travel on the subway. And I absolutely, I, I made her do something else. I absolutely would not allow it. And sure enough, there was all those slashings and, and uh, stabbings. I mean, one person is going to be blind in their eye. I mean, think about it. You know, Phil, I just want to quickly, uh, we only have about another five, six minutes left. I want to quickly mention that a lot of the uh, people that are criticizing this are saying that um, it has, this is all because of the pandemic. And anyone that's in the crime business knows that that's nonsense. Because if anything, crime would have went down because there's less people in the city. There's probably only about 25% amount of people in the city during the pandemic as are usually there. Usually there's 75% more people, 75% more people using the subway. So to use that as an excuse, which many of the uh, the woke newspapers use it too, the New York Times is one of them, they claim it is on that. And they go to a lot of these um, uh, schools, these criminal justice schools that also, um, they have an agenda too, some of them. And and they, they don't really know about street crime. They, they try to read these, statistics and and you know as we could see of course crime is measured against 
the the year before on the previous month and that's how it's measured so yeah last march probably the crime would have been very low because that was the start of the pandemic but shootings and murders are up if you go back two years they're up a extreme percentage they also said i saw something on the news for the first quarter of this year and it came from the police commissioner's mouth the first quarter of this year more shootings in the first quarter than the last 20 years. So forget about the pandemic. That's nonsense. And they're trying to, you know, they're trying to cloud the issue. I think there's some kind of a component. They blame it on the pandemic. They're going to get money that they can, you know, that they, they can steal or whatever. The bottom line is the guy who shot his brother last week in Times Square, did he look like he was upset about the pandemic? I don't no. think so. He looked and like I, a and I, don't, and I don't think he was playing hooky from school either. <laughs> oh, come on. Yeah, obviously, anybody that's saying these type of things, they're clouding the issue, they're deflecting. Let's take it head on. Let's call it what it is. It's a crime wave. The, yeah. They're saying that de Blasio saying that the, the, the subway is safe every day. It's nonsense. Let's call it what it is, but let's try to do something to uh, bring the crime down. Put these people where they belong in jail. Start having some enforcement. And the borough president of Manhattan, she needs to write another letter to Mayor de Blasio and say, confiscate these illegal dirt bikes that are ruining the quality of life in Upper Manhattan and Inwood. Maybe then you'd have some peace and quiet in that park that uh, that poor man was beaten. A hundred percent. I'm just going to go quickly to a um, to an ad here. Joe Murray. He's one of the biggest supporters of police off the cuff. He's a retired member of the service, police officer, great attorney. He's got his own website, joe at jmurray-law.com. If you need a great attorney, Joe Murray's our guy. If you're looking to move out of New York City and you want to go down south, Carol Waters is a realtor down in Myrtle Beach. Carol Waters sells Myrtle Beach at gmail.com, Beach Realty Group. Uh, you can reach her at 914-261-6681. Carol was a bartender for 20 years at Fitzpatrick Hotel in Manhattan, and her husband, Rob Mayen, was an NYPD officer, and he rolled over to the fire department. So if you're looking to move out of New York City, that's where you can go. And to my next labor of love, this is tonight. We've been waiting for this for months. Police off the cuff night at Bardo Restaurant at 7 p.m., 350 West 46th Street. Uh, Mark and I are going to be there. We're going to uh, say hello, shake shake hands, kiss babies, you know, take pictures with you or eat some pizza. Anyway, if you can make it tonight, uh, it's in the theater district, seven o'clock and uh, we'll be there. Phil, any last words? I'm just excited to meet uh, Joe Lisi and Mark and everybody else that's going to be there tonight. Um, that's it. I, I, I'm just, uh, I was a little fired up in this episode because this, you know, New York City is my is my hometown, and uh, I was a transit cop. I was a city cop for many years, and uh, I just feel like it's all the hard work that everybody put in over the last 20, 30, 40 years is just slipping through our fingers, and uh, we're going in the wrong direction. But looking forward to seeing everybody tonight, Billy. Thanks again. I, you know, I, I'm so I'm so excited for it too. It's it's gonna be it's gonna be a great night. And you know something, Phil? I shouldn't let you rant because that's my job. And you're gonna, you're gonna, you're a good renter. You're as good a renter as me. But you know, we have to have the, we have to have the level-headed guy that just speaks low and is calm. You know, we, that's, we my, that's, that's my normal tone. But today, <laughs> you know, we were talking about this yesterday. I read the articles. I watched the news today, and I just, I, I was fired up. 
Yeah, I was too. So listen, everyone that listened this afternoon, this is police off the cuff, real crime stories. And I want to thank my uh, co-host, Phil Grimaldi, retired second grade detective out of Intel. Uh, a lot of time in the 6-0. He's got that wonderful Brooklyn accent. He's got the Joe Pesci look. Anyway, <laughs> I, I hope to see everyone tonight at Bordeaux from uh, Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Story, Bill Cannon and Phil Grimaldi. Thanks so much for watching. Thank you.